You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome in Lake Kick is live. It is Sunday night, June 5th, the year of our Lord 2022. Going to be an upsetting show tonight, but for the very happiest of reasons. I'll explain in just a second. We are jam-packed. High atop a festive downtown Nashville, Tennessee. A lot of folks coming into town for a lot of different concerts this week. We're actually going to do a change of schedule that I'll tell you about more at the end of the show. Because of that, I got upset alerts for you. I want you to pull out that red Sharpie, and we're going to circle five of them tonight that you might as well go ahead and get money down on. We have thought it through. We have deliberated internally here as a staff, me and the two ghosts in the other room over there, and we got five of them for you. Also, Brian Kelly, as you know, is the head coach at LSU. Marcus Freeman, therefore, is the head coach at Notre Dame. Did everyone win here? Some people have been saying some things as of late, including that guy at LSU. We will discuss that tonight. Sam Pittman in Arkansas. They got the whole contract thing figured out. I hope a lot of you are paying attention And by you, I don't necessarily mean the listeners, I mean athletic directors, I mean boosters, I mean anyone who wants some sound financial advice, you need to look no further than Fayetteville, Arkansas. Bold predictions enter chapter 14 this evening, and also, we're going to talk about a dilemma that has arisen in State College, Pennsylvania. Another one of those whiteout dilemmas. Had one last year, I weighed in on it. And as the only person in sports media that wears a dedicated white t-shirt every time he's on air, I'm kind of sort of the authority on this. I'm going to tell you what I mean tonight. Uh, Copperas Cove, Texas is tuned in. Loretta, Tennessee, Dearborn, Michigan, and Columbus, Georgia. Yeah, just flat out Columbus, Georgia. Checking in on the show. A lot of you are listening and watching from a lot of different places. But can any of you match read? As we dive into the show tonight, I want you to take a look at this or listen if you're on podcast. Our buddy Reed said, uh, JP, just an FYI, over the last six weeks, I've watched the show from Ireland, Scotland, England, Jordan, Honduras, and Georgia. I don't know if it's the country or the state. Either way, it's impressive. Is that a record, he asks. We can confirm, yes, it is. And you know what? Why not? We let Reed throw in his own bold prediction. He said, my bold prediction is 90 plus percent of the on-air bold predictions would not actually put significant money on their bold prediction. So that's Reed, not me, throwing down the gauntlet to all of you. Coming up a little bit later, I'd say about 30 minutes from now, we will have bold predictions tonight. Let's enter into tonight's show. Isn't it nice? Got a lot of garbage going on in the world right now. Just, Just leave it all behind for about an hour. Let's just talk about some college football here. We're looking at the schedules right now. College football less than 100 days away. Even the week zero games are rapidly approaching, and there are some of them that we're going to talk about a lot more in the next couple of months. But right now, what I wanted to do on tonight's show is pull out that red Sharpie. We call them red Sharpie specials, the upset alerts, the games that we're looking at right now. And we got a favorite, and we got a dog, and we look at the dog, and we call them very, very live. They could pull that outright upset, a money line special. I want to start in week one. It's going to be a Thursday night game, and it's a game that we have not seen for quite a while, since 2011, actually. The backyard brawl is back. West Virginia versus Pitt. West Virginia, looking around some different books right now, there's kind of a consensus West Virginia plus six and a half in the market. Again, that's going to vary depending on which book you you give your business to. 
look, you're going to see some power ratings come out. We will have the JP poll come out. Now, this is going to sound kind of weird, okay? But you got to understand the difference between power rankings and also the way that individual upsets are sprung. Because there will be times occasionally throughout the year where you'll see me have one team power rated higher than another team, and then I will seemingly inexplicably pick the lower rated team to pull an upset. It could be situational. Of course, that has to do with scheduling. But there's no scheduling involved here. This is the first game for both teams. It's the whole styles make fights concept. So in the West Virginia versus Pitt matchup, what do we know about the teams? Well, you actually don't know a whole lot about West Virginia's secondary. That's the catch because you got a bunch of new faces back there. So could we call that a weakness? At the very least, we call it an uncertainty. How built is Pitt to expose that in week one? It's what I'm sitting here trying to figure out. I'm replacing a first-round draft pick and Kenny Pickett at quarterback. I just watched Addison, their best wide receiver, head over to USC. That doesn't mean that the offense just goes into a tailspin. We also have a new offensive coordinator there. But what it does mean is there's some uncertainty there. So the very facet of your team that you would hope would be built to expose the perceived weakness with West Virginia is up in the air too. If those question marks balance out, I know... Neil Brown and company are very confident that they've got their quarterback in JT Daniels and other areas of that team, they have a very quiet confidence about in Morgantown. So you add the rivalry aspect into all that and you're already getting around a touchdown, maybe a little bit under a touchdown, very competitive game. It's week one. No one knows who anyone is. I'd look at that one as a solid red Sharpie upset special right there. That's a Thursday. You don't even have to wait to Saturday. That's a Thursday. Next up, I'm not going in chronological order here. That would be too responsible of me. I want to take you to week six. This one's happening in Las Vegas. A lot of times with Notre Dame, you have to be careful looking at the schedules because Notre Dame plays all over the world, and they also play some neutral site games. So this is one of those. They're playing Brigham Young, and they play them in Las Vegas. This is week six. It's a loaded slate. This is the most loaded weekend of the college football season. This is Texas A&M Alabama weekend. This is Oklahoma Texas weekend. So there are a lot of big games here. Don't let this one get lost in the shuffle, though. As I said, neutral site game there, Las Vegas. Now, what do we know about Brigham Young? We know that is, according to Bill Connolly's returning production ratings, the number two team in America in terms of returning production. We know that they are one of about 18 or 19 teams, I think it is, according to our buddy Parker at Stats of War, that return a quarterback, an offensive coordinator, a defensive coordinator, and a head coach. It should be a lot more commonplace, but it's pretty rare in college football. Uh, this is the first trip out west for the new version of Notre Dame, that being the Marcus Freeman Notre Dame. You will have already had a good look at the Notre Dame quarterback situation by this point, too. So we think it's Tyler Buckner there, but whether it's Pine or whether it's Buckner, however the quarterback position shakes out, you've gotten a good look at it if you're Brigham Young. And so you really get to dial up your entire Super Bowl game philosophy here, and you get a prime opponent. And you also have a pretty short spread on this one. Think the consensus number out there right now is Brigham Young plus around six and a half. It kind of looks like that West Virginia pit number. So I'm looking at Brigham Young there. Experienced team, including the Ohio State game. This will be one of, if not the most physical games you play all year if you're Notre Dame. You don't have a bunch of certainty at the quarterback position quite yet. So Brigham Young's pulled this stuff off before they could pull it off again there. Next up. I actually forgot to write down what week this is. What week is the Texas A&M-Mississippi State game? It's like week five or somewhere around there. Yeah, it's week five. It's the week before they played Bama. So Texas A&M's at Mississippi State October 1st. 
and this is about stretches here. So last year, you know, Mississippi State just went into College Station and won. The pushback there would be, yeah, freak upsets happen sometimes. Oh, and by the way, we, as a Texas A&M Aggie fan, if I'm speaking on their behalf, we're without our starting quarterback. And we will have, presumably, our starting quarterbacks healthy this year. Notice I said plural, quarterbacks. We got two of them we think we can count on. All right, here's the counter. The counter is, that's all well and good. We can believe that. But this is about stretches, especially when you play in the SEC. Sometimes when you see those upsets, it's not so much the team lined up across from you that given Saturday that did it to you as much as the team you played seven days prior, or in some cases, the teams you played seven and 14 days prior. Oh, and let's just add in for good measure, in this case, the team you're going to play seven days from now. There is a four-week stretch on A&M's schedule that sees them play Miami at home. They play Arkansas in Dallas. Then they play this game in Starkville. And they got a trip to Bama the following week. By the way, if we count a neutral site game as a road trip, which it is, that is a back-to-back-to-back road spot for Texas A&M. You know who tried to do that last year? Arkansas. And that third leg of that three-week road stretch was at Georgia, and they got flattened like a pancake. not saying that repeats itself this year. I'm just saying it's ludicrous for any conference to allow their teams to go on the road three consecutive weeks. They don't even let that garbage happen in the NFL. So it shouldn't happen in college. I digress. We come back. So you've got the whole scheduling dynamic in play. Mississippi State has a a much softer opponent the week before. Secondly, we have seen Mississippi State and Mike Leach beat Jimbo Fisher and Texas A&M in the last year. And Will Rogers, the quarterback who did it last year, is back. How about these numbers? Uh, The number 46. It sounds like that's the number of passing attempts that Will Rogers had in that game? No, that's the amount of completions he had against Texas A&M last year. He was 46 of 59, three touchdowns, no interceptions, and the overall total yardage edge decisively in favor of Mississippi State, 438 to 297. And what I'm trying to illustrate for you there is this wasn't some freak minus four turnover aberration for A&M. They got beat last year. So they've tasted that blood in Starkville already, and then you get them in here in sort of a letdown look-ahead spot. You've shown that you're worthy of competing with them outright. That's one to look at. Uh, We don't have a number on that game yet, but obviously A&M will be favored. Then I want to take you to week three. Notice we're not in chronological order. This is a game that I have clasped these two hands together every night and prayed to be able to go to. Oklahoma at Nebraska in week three. I have never been to Lincoln, Nebraska. I've never been to the state of Nebraska for that matter. Boy, do I want to change that. We have to have some cooperation on the part of both teams here. Nebraska, uh, we will have power rated inside our top 25. I already looked at those. I have not released them yet, but I'm telling you, we will have Nebraska in the top 25. They didn't drop far out of the top 25 last year, which just sounds asinine. I know it does. If you've never been in the power rating game, if you just live in the world of AP rankings, of course you wouldn't have a 3-9 and nine team sniffing the top 25, or the top 75 for that matter. Power ratings are only about future looking and predictability and yada, yada, yada. They don't care about the resume. They only care about what would this team do next week and the week after that. So a team that keeps losing close games and a team that loses blowout games is going to be treated differently. Well, I say all that to say, you can tell me all you want to. Nebraska finished 3-9 and nine last year. A power rating system doesn't really care about that, uh, nor does the JP poll. So Nebraska, 
formidable opponent. The line on this game, if you don't believe me, the line on this game is around four right now. Oklahoma favored by about four going on the road here. Now we get into it a little bit. This is an old rivalry. Of course, anyone who grew up watching the game knows that. Uh, you have not seen this game since 2009. That's what happens when conferences realign and teams move on from conferences. It's not fun. We don't like it, but yet it's the way of the world these days and we have to deal with it. There was a game last year that kind of resembled this. Do you remember it? Do you know what I'm talking about right now? What game pitted two former longtime rivals and one of them's moved on from the Big 12 or the Big 8, whatever you wanted to call it, and then one of the older, bigger brand-named teams went on the road into the underdog's house. And uh, last year what happened is that name brand got shattered. They got splattered all over national television. That would have been Texas at Arkansas. Remember how that went down last year? The favored Texas Longhorns looked anything but that. Uh, again, that's not a prediction for this game. What I'm telling you is if you're trying to find an environment in 2022 and a dynamic that feels most like that Texas-Arkansas game did last year, which was just a world-class, beyond-the-scope-of-comprehension type environment there in Fayetteville, this could be it. That game in Lincoln in week three, it's important to say week three because even if bad things end up happening to Nebraska, they haven't even had a chance to happen yet. It's really hard to be out of contention by week three, even, and I'm going to say this respectfully, by Nebraska standards. That wasn't respectful. I know it wasn't. But we've seen the Scott Frost era so far. we got to have it happen this year. We all agree with that. Oklahoma, new staff, just like Texas had last year. First time out on the road, just like Texas last year. National spotlight on the game. I would argue more so in this game than Arkansas-Texas last year. There are a lot of indicators that circle this game. And it's not like it's a fat point spread either. Four, I mean, it's, we're looking at a field goal plus one point there. I ran the numbers. That's what four equals. So let's keep that one in mind. And then I got a fifth game for you here. Now, this was a late addition, but I, I wanted to look in the ACC and see where Clemson was the most vulnerable. And um, it's, it's not the Wake or NC State games, because I think those games, even though the lines were around 10 on those games, I think most people are going to have their attention on those. I want to look at week six. There goes that week six slate again. This is not going to get marquee treatment that day, nor should it. But Clemson goes to Boston College in week six. And I just want to kind of reiterate how important schedule stretches are in this game. I'm about to read you a four-game stretch that Clemson will be in the midst of during this time. There is no bye week. All of these are back to back to back to back. They go to Wake Forest, September 24th. That is one of the toughest games on their schedule all year. They then may get the toughest conference game on their schedule all year the next week when they play NC State at home. So you got at Wake, NC State. Two weeks after that, they go to Florida State. They've got a trip to Boston College right there in the middle of it all. And I'm just thinking about the way this game normally happens. And I'm thinking about these teams like that orange tiger paw there, or you can say that, that block G or that script A, even the best in the game do not play an A-level brand of their ball every week. You just It's inevitable because you've got humans, and in this case, these humans are 18 and 19 and 20 years old, so there's a C-plus effort. There's a B-minus effort. There's that game where you just you turn it over three or four times 
can't predict it. No one knows it's coming, but it just happens. Normally it happens when you're in a stretch like this and you got what you think is a little bit of a let up before you dive right back in the following week and you've, you've expended yourself back-to-back weeks more so than you think you may have to the rest of the season and you go to Boston College. Boston College wasn't anything last year. Offensively, their numbers were totally inept last year. They lost their quarterback. And I don't think revisionist history tells you that. You just see numbers on a sheet and you don't know that They've got themselves an NFL quarterback. I don't know if he's a first-rounder or not, but Phil Dracovic is a guy who will play on Sundays. And when they had him last year, they were going to be okay. They didn't have him. They weren't okay anymore. Well, he's back. they got a veteran group of receivers. Offensive line's not anything to write home about for Boston College. Uh, But their secondary is built in a way where they will force you to drive on them to score. And if we learned anything from Clemson last year, it's that they have a long way to go in terms of building a higher precision-based passing game and an offense around it. So who knows where they'll be this year. But if there's an upset that's going to happen, I think it actually may be at Boston College more so than the previous two. So those are five upset specials so far that we have our eye on. That is not an exhaustive list. It's only June. So we'll have several more to add on there. I appreciate you guys being tuned in wherever you are. And I'm just going to say hey in the live chat so you know we're live and stuff. Academy Sports and Outdoors. What did I tell you the other week uh, or the other night? I told you that we had a viewer who was in Sargent, Texas, needed crab traps of all things. Whomst amongst us hasn't been there a time or two in our lives. You need a crab trap and you're there in Sargent, Texas, and you don't know where to go. Academy Sports and Outdoors. Now, you may have needed a baseball bat, pair of cleats, soccer equipment. Yeah, Academy had that for him too. But our guy in Sargent, that particular moment in time, he needed crab traps and Academy was there. Well, we had one of our viewers need some fishing gear as recently as like the last 24 hours. He DM'd me the receipt. I'm not going to show it tonight. And he said, I needed fishing gear and I could have gone to fill in the blank, fill in the blank, fill in the blank. But I remembered you said Academy had more than just sporting goods in the classical variety. I went in there. They hooked me up. I was out within minutes. Academy Sports and Outdoors. First off, they've got everything you need. Secondly, if you believe you need this show in your life too, they bring it to you free of charge. We got folks out there in our industry that have to put their work behind a paywall because they got to pay the bills. Well, Academy is such a good partner, we don't have to do that. You know, you look at your favorite shows now, and chances are they're on Netflix or Apple Plus and whatnot, and you got to pay subscriptions to go watch them. You don't have to do that with Late Kick and never will. Why? Because we have partners that make sure you don't have to. So the only thing we ask, this is an atypical ad read, this is the way we do it on this show, the only thing we ask is that you respect our exclusive partner, Academy Sports and Outdoors, enough to where if you find yourself needing something this week, whatever it may be, from crab traps to lacrosse equipment and everything in between, just head over to Academy Sports and Outdoors. And if you live in a portion of the country where you don't have one around every corner, academy.com is your hookup. Academy Sports and Outdoors. We are eternally thankful to have them in our lives. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates – Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. We move on. I said that I think we may have one of those good old-fashioned win-win scenarios out there. Well, this would be it. Colin, here's your end point. The great thing about sports is that it's just a zero-sum atmosphere. You're going to have a winner. You're going to have a loser. Whoever's point total on the scoreboard at the end of play is higher. You win, and the other dude loses. That's wonderful. That's the spirit of competition. But not everything associated with sports is always zero-sum. And I'm speaking specifically right now about coaching moves. Sometimes when your coach moves on and then another guy comes in, you want to know who won and who lost. And sometimes no one wins. And sometimes one party does come out on the better end of the stick than the other party does. But we could also have the rarest of rarities in sports, and that is a win-win situation. Now, if aliens kidnapped you at Thanksgiving last year and they just returned you five minutes ago, one of the most shocking things I could tell you is, hey, Brian Kelly's the head coach at LSU now. And you would do every kind of double take imaginable. And you would say, you said what about whomst? Brian Kelly is the head coach of the Louisiana State University Tigers. Yes, in this year of our Lord 2022. Oh, by the way, what was space like? Would be my follow-up question. But, but before we talked about the alien abduction, Clearly, Brian Kelly to LSU is the bigger news in that transaction. Well, that begs the question, what do we think about all this? You know, when that happened, you remember it as well as I do, that was a bombshell story. So when Brian Kelly went to LSU, uh, we got a bunch of questions about where's Notre Dame going to turn. Well, shortly thereafter, we got our answer. They hired Marcus Freeman, and they didn't have to go out and get him. They just elevated him. He was already on staff. He was the defensive coordinator there. He's been on the show since then. So we're, we're big in the Marcus Freeman camp here. We're big in the Brian Kelly camp here. So both of them have been on the show, actually. Not to toot our own horn, but someone has to. We got a $0 marketing budget around here. Well, as of late, I've gotten two questions. And they've been constantly coming at me. So I figured we'd answer both of them tonight. One of those questions is, have you noticed how well Notre Dame is recruiting under Marcus Freeman? More on that in just a second. But the other question is, did you hear what Brian Kelly said the other day? So the first thing I want to do is I want to tell you what Brian Kelly said the other day. He was on the Paul Feinbaum show, well, I think while they were down in Destin at the spring meetings, and Brian Kelly was talking about the way things went down at Notre Dame. And Brian Kelly, just like when we had him on our show last year, has shown you he'll give you some brutally honest answers. You know, if you ask him the right questions, he's not going to beat around the bush. He'll, he'll tell you what he thinks. So if we have that graphic, because I forgot to pull it up on my computer, Here's what Brian Kelly said about leaving Notre Dame. Quote, I just think we're at a different place. The administration felt they were in a position where they had done what they needed to do. I felt there was more that needed to be done. Not the first time or the last time someone's felt that way. He continues, I was fine with that decision. They'll continue to move their program forward. My clock was at a different place. What did he do? Well, he went to LSU. Brian Kelly continues, this happens everywhere in life. This was not antagonistic. There was no bitterness. 
but it's just my clock and in terms of what I needed to see happen was at a different time, but they'll get to those things. Talking about Notre Dame there. This opportunity opened up at the same time at LSU. It's just time and place. And this opportunity is one I just felt like I needed to take. Now you notice Brian Kelly there, he said, this was not antagonistic. There was not a lot of fighting, no bitterness. Well, he's partly right. I don't doubt that he left and he didn't feel all that bitter. He got an opportunity he wanted, but there was some bitterness amongst the fan base, as is to be expected when your guy leaves you. Have you noticed that that bitterness has kind of subsided really quickly? I don't know if you've been paying attention. Now, our crew is always dialed in because we don't do the offseason around here. So you guys have probably noticed, boy, there was a fair amount of bitterness there. The bitterness per capita ratio, or capita ratio amongst Notre Dame fans, it sure has precipitously dropped. What happened? Uh, you want to know what happened? Notre Dame's got the number one recruiting class in the country right now. That's what happened. And so they found out really quickly a lot of their suspicions about their new guy, Marcus Freeman, they've been validated. I'm going to take this point in the show to hit the pause button, and I'm going to say, let me drop the pen for effect. Let me straighten my microphone here, just because it looks bad. I do not care if Notre Dame finishes with the number one class in the country. Fact is, they're going to have a good class. So when I tell you that they have the number one class in the country right now, that's exactly what I mean. Right now, it is June 5th, 2022, they have the number one class in the country. They could finish fourth, they could finish eighth, whatever. They're gonna have a really good class, that we know. Now, how good is this class? Well, at the moment, they have 10 verbal commitments ranked inside the top 250. For some context, in Brian Kelly's entire tenure at Notre Dame, he only had two full signing classes with more than 10 kids, ranked in the top 250 in the country. Right now, Marcus Freeman's got 10 of them ranked inside the top 250, and we got seven months till early signing day. Could some of them decommit? Yeah, uh, a much more likely scenario is he'll keep most of them and he'll get more. So they're about to have a really good signing class at Notre Dame. And there's a lot of talk that's been associated with Notre Dame previously under Brian Kelly that I would say Irish fans tolerated but in their heart of hearts, they never really fully believed it. Here's what it sounded like. Brian Kelly can't recruit the same kind of athletes at Notre Dame that other programs can. So they have to take a secondary approach or your secondary approach has to be their primary approach. There was a talking point when Brian Kelly was at LSU, or excuse me, there was a talking point when Brian Kelly was at Notre Dame that they had to just take a different approach in recruiting. You can't go after the same kids the big boys do. Notre Dame fans listened to it, and they saw the results and said, well, we can't argue with it as long as those are the results. We're recruiting good classes, not elite classes. But in their heart of hearts, they always believed there's another notch. There's another gear that we can kick it into. Maybe Brian Kelly's just not going to be the guy who does that. And then all of a sudden, Marcus Freeman elevates, takes over, and boom. Sitting here with seven months to go until National Signing Day, they already got 10 verbals inside the top 250 in the country, which matches all but two of Brian Kelly's entire classes. And they look around and they say, why would we be bitter? It looks like we've got the perfect candidate here. Which brings me back to my original point. Because LSU fans love who they have. Notre Dame fans love who they have. We could be seeing one of those rarest of occurrences in sports, especially college football. The classic win-win. Because LSU folks are looking around saying, we love having Brian Kelly here. Brian Kelly looks around and says, I love being here. It's looser, 
So everything I claim I wanted to do and the investment I claim I needed at Notre Dame, I've got it in Baton Rouge. I kind of get to reinvent myself in the process. It's like Tom Brady in New England versus the way Brady's been in Tampa. Just a little looser. See him out a little bit more, talks a little bit more. But Notre Dame fans couldn't care less about that. They're not bitter because they look and they say, Marcus Freeman's got how many kids in the top 250 already committed? And it's June what? So everyone's looking around and they seem kind of happy with where they are right now. Now, Notre Dame fans kind of get to test that theory they had for a long time. You know, I, I understand. I'm a realist. So I understand there's a long way to go before that ink is on paper and that class is secured. And I understand that ultimately we're going to see Marcus Freeman's Notre Dame on the field. And if they don't deliver on the field, that's going to negatively affect recruiting. I get all that. But the earliest of early returns are more positive than the best case scenario would have been imaginable. So I think everyone's happy right now. So I, I've been asked a lot about Kelly and I've been asked a lot about Marcus Freeman. The way I look at it is, how is anyone unhappy? I, everybody in that equation is happy right now. I'm happy because they're watching in Muscle Shoals, Alabama. Muscle Shoals for the locals there. Uh, they're watching in Washington, Missouri. And our first ever check-in from Amityville, New York. Contracts are a mess in college football. You can look at the athletic department right now at Arkansas and they're putting on a clinic. They're putting on a clinic in all sports pretty much. There's like nothing they're bad at at the moment. But... It is so refreshing, and to be real with you, surprising, when an athletic department in the sport of college football handles things in a financially sound way. Contracts, to be clear, with your head coach. Here's how rare it is. It's a lot of you guys drive a fair amount. We got a lot of truck drivers who listen to the show and watch the show, so you guys absolutely know what I'm talking about. But some of you are like me. You ju you just, you're on the road a lot, and you know the difference in states where the Department of Transportation has their act together and other places that just wing it. And the main difference is some states have the good working knowledge to do road construction at night, and then there's some of them who do it in the middle of the day. And you know how different it is driving through scenario A versus scenario B. Well, for a long time, college football contracts have been the DOT that just work in the middle of the day and shut down all but one lane, even though they're only working on one lane. And you just, you drive through there after you've been waiting in traffic an hour and a half and you throw your hands up. What was I waiting on? Why were those cones even out there? No one knows. No one has an answer for you. There, there are construction workers sitting over here eating sandwiches. You know they've already taken four lunch breaks in the day. No one has their act together. Well, Arkansas and this new contract they have with Sam Pittman, which you may have heard about, they've got their act together. You may have heard. Sam Pittman's got himself a new contract. Do you know the particulars of that new contract? This right here is a blueprint. And I want to give credit. Um, oh, man, who was it? It was Brad Crawford. Our Brad Crawford earlier this week wrote an article. I think his exact words were, this contract with Pittman and Arkansas should serve as a blueprint for a lot of athletic departments moving forward. Because you've got a lot of absurd buyouts being paid out there right now for coaches who have been fired that you have no business paying. That's real money. That is real money you guys are paying. The old school model for Sam Pittman, he went nine and four last year. He exceeded everybody's expectations. The old school way would be to double his salary, uh, extend him five or six years, and put a massive buyout clause in his contract. Even though you know he's not going anywhere, it doesn't matter. You can spend like a drunken sailor. You can act like you're a federal government employee because it's really not your money. You'll have an endless supply of it coming in, whether it's from television, or whether it's just from your own donor base. And so when you don't have to be fiscally responsible, boy, you can get loose 
with those purse strings. I'll illustrate that momentarily. But that's not what Arkansas did. Arkansas and Sam Pittman got in a room and they understand how unique, admittedly, this situation is. And the situation at Arkansas is it's a perfect marriage. Sam Pittman is built for Arkansas. Arkansas is built for Sam Pittman. They are interchangeable. You don't detach one from the other. Sam Pittman is Arkansas and vice versa. There's not a big market for Sam Pittman. Like, Iowa's not calling up Sam Pittman. Just like, um, you know, Oklahoma State was never calling up Ed Orgeron. There are certain guys who work perfectly, some more perfectly than others, at certain spots. Everybody at Arkansas got that. Sam Pittman gets that. It's not like he's threatening to leave and go anywhere anyway. But in having said that, they structured his contract accordingly. So how, let me first do this. Before I give you the particulars, let me tell you why it needs to be done this way. Some of the buyout money being paid in college football right now is absurd. Ed Orgeron, who won a national championship in 2019 and was never going anywhere, anywhere, where, where in the world was, where was Ed Orgeron going other than LSU? It didn't matter. They gave him a six-year extension, $42 million anyway, and they are now currently, they being LSU, paying Ed Orgeron $16.8 million not to coach. Auburn is paying Gus Malzahn $21.4 million not to coach. South Carolina is paying Will Muschamp, who was never in a million years going anywhere else, $13.2 million not to coach. I ask you, what was the leverage play? The only leverage play was the chess versus checkers approach that having Jimmy Sexton as your agent is compared to some of the folks that he negotiates against. Like, it's, it's got to be like shooting fish in a barrel sometimes for Jimmy Sexton. Can you imagine getting that kind of buyout for folks like Will Muschamp? Muschamp's not going anywhere other than South Carolina. They still worked him a contract where you got to pay him $13.2 million, and that's the lump sum that they agreed to. His actual buyout number was higher than that. It's absurd. So Arkansas looked and said, negative. We're not doing that. But we also greatly appreciate you, Sam Pittman. So here's what they did. They made Sam Pittman the highest paid coach in Arkansas history. It's a five-year contract, $25 million base salary. So he's making five a year. I would be fine with that. I could easily get by, I think, on $5 million a year and probably have several more spare shirts than I have right now. Here's the thing about the contract. It's loaded with incentives. He gets a retention bonus of $1 million for each year. So just, just stay alive, Sam, and you get a $1 million each year. But also, it gets auto-extended one year for every time he wins seven games. Here's the bonus structure. If he wins seven games, he gets a quarter million dollars. If he wins eight games, he gets a half a million. If he wins nine games, he gets 750 k and I think that also gets bumped on in future contracts or future years. If he's fired, Arkansas does owe him 75% of this buyout. But here's the important point, children. If he gets fired and their winning percentage is below 500, that number comes down to 50%. So you see, this is called a merit-based contract. And in your world, in my world, this is how we have to live. We get paid based on how we produce. And then if we don't produce, then we get fired and really no one ever owes us anything. But the more we produce, the more we get paid. And that's kind of the way Arkansas chose to do it with Sam Pittman. Sam Pittman could make a fortune on this contract. He's going to make it as he earns it. And he did them a solid. He hired Jimmy Sexton as his agent. So this is a Sexton guy too. Uh, but I just wonder now, and this is kind of a to be determined deal, 
I wonder if this is going to be unique to Arkansas because it is, as I said, admittedly a unique environment, kind of a unique connection there. If you have a guy that's more the mercenary type and he's just at your program because you happen to be the highest bidder and he starts having success, are you going to have to maybe go about it the old school way or will this sort of semi-revolutionize the way contracts are handled? I hope it's the latter, just personally, I hope it's the latter uh, because it, it hurts my soul to see someone having to pay $21 million not to coach. That hurts. All four Gus Malzahn getting his, but that hurts. Bold prediction time. It's chapter 14. Bold predictions, chapter 14. Oh, we've got five more bold ones tonight. Almost went with a 10. Almost have a 10 on the boldness scale. So let's start with the one that's a seven. Clemson just wins the national championship. That's what Adam says. Clemson will return to the top and reclaim the college football national championship from Anderson, South Carolina. I made this one a seven, which sounds pretty lofty. Why is it a seven on the boldness scale when the Clemson Tigers have the fourth best odds to win the national championship? Well, it goes back to how much more difficult it is to win it once you're there in the playoff than to get to the playoff. Because if we're checking in from old Anderson, South Carolina, and we're saying, Clemson's going to make the playoff, that's not bold. Win it all, a little bit bolder. You see, there is something in the playoff that you come up on. It's called Alabama and Ohio State and Georgia that you don't come up on with the little due respect that there is to the current state of the ACC on that ACC schedule. So getting there, yeah, winning it, a little bit different. I look and I think about two different ways this could go. So let's say Clemson does win it. Let's say I'm, I'm wrong and, and our guy here is right and it, they do win it. They have had one of two things happen. They're going to have a phenomenal defensive line this year, maybe the best in the game. So either they have duplicated the Georgia approach where they get good enough quarterback play and they just suffocate people defensively and no one really rises up with a, with a truly revolutionary generational offense against them. Either they do that or DJ Uyangalale improves a great deal. And they are truly a complementary football team. And both of those facets, O and D, play at a high level. And it's just Clemson football at that point. Or maybe Cade Klubnick just comes out of nowhere as a true freshman, like Trevor Lawrence did once upon a 2018. And they do it that way. I don't know how it would happen. I think it is still fairly bold, even though they're favored to get there, to say they win it all. So I'm going to go with a 7 on the boldness scale. Next up, this one was kind of arbitrary. So we got to kind of come up with our own criteria here. James from Grove City, Ohio, he said, the SEC will not be viewed as the best conference in 22. The Big Ten will reign. Well, I had producer Jesse, better known as Stats and Info, go and do some digging. And I said, let me know how the hierarchy shakes out right now. Preseason, of course. Who's favored to do what? And just give it to me like I'm five so it makes sense. And so producer Jesse, he pitter-pattered his way into his office. He came back out and he said, all right, here's what we got for you. In terms of the preseason national championship odds, three of the top five teams are in the SEC, most of any conference. If you extend that to the top 20, six of the top 20 are from the SEC. Again, most of any conference. Now, that's great. That's the preseason. But we're talking about once toe meets leather, once we actually strap it up in the fall and we play. Because no preseason has ever played out exactly as people expect. So what do we have to have happen here? If the SEC is viewed in December 
as anything less than the best conference in the country and the Big Ten overtakes them, and it would be the Big Ten if this happened, I look around and you could, you could paint me a picture where Bama and Georgia, who are the one, two in the SEC, any given order, they are matched by Ohio State, Michigan, let's just say. That could happen. But then when you get past tier one, you've got to find a way for your Penn States and your Michigan States and your Wisconsins and whatever happens in the West. You've got to find a way for that group to match or exceed the nucleus of tier two in the SEC. And that would be Arkansas, Texas A&M, uh, Kentucky this year, Ole Miss. Like we don't even talk about Ole Miss on the national scene. And Ole Miss could go win the ACC this year. So there's a lot of depth of quality in the SEC. You got to have a bunch of cannibalization down there. And then you've got to have at least one of those Penn State, Michigan State, Wisconsin, you got to have another one of them surge to the top. I just think it's unlikely that all of that coalesces. I think the Big Ten's a very solid conference, but to overtake perceptionally or in reality, I guess the SEC this year, that'd be a tall order. So I made this one an eight. They don't need to, by the way. They can accomplish everything they need to being the second best conference in the country. Auburn, the Auburn Tigers, yes, of over under six win fame right now. How about this from Anthony out of Albertville, Alabama? Anthony said, no one seems to realize that Auburn was a handful of plays away from being a 10-win team last year, which would completely change the outlook on this year's team and Coach Harson. That brings me to my bold prediction. Auburn wins nine games in 2022. Okay, time to dish out some tough love. Uh, this is an eight and a half on the boldness scale. Not impossible. In fact, Auburn normally does this one. No one expects them to do it. However, it is unlikely uh, for reasons not the least of which are schedule. Also, I have no clue what to expect from quarterback at Auburn right now, but this is steep. So let's talk about where they are right now. They're over under win total, six. So three less than the projection here from Anthony. Also, they are looking at a situation where I think they can count on being favored in four games. And I would say Mercer, pretty good shot. San Jose State, Missouri at home, and Western Kentucky. Okay, those four games, yes, pretty confident they'll be favored in. Maybe they'll be favored at Mississippi State, I don't know. But my point is, with the four games I mentioned, let's say they beat Mercer, beat San Jose State, they beat Missouri, and they beat Western Kentucky. That's 4-0. You still got to win five of these games I'm about to list. Penn State, LSU, at Georgia, at Ole Miss, Arkansas, at Mississippi State, Texas A&M at Bama. I just don't think they're going to do it. Uh, I think a seven or eight win season is very admirable this year. It's not expectation. It's not what they want. But I think in a vacuum, it would be admirable. Nine wins is a little steep there. So I'm going to say that's an eight and a half on the boldness scale. The only thing about it is if you're into the intangibles, you know, if, if, you're, into, if you're into the part of this game that extends beyond X's and O's and, and what you can diagram and what you can quantify, and you just believe that there's some magic that sometimes happens, a lot of people from a generation ago will remember, famously, they call it Jetgate at Auburn, and they know what I'm about to say. But if you're, if you're in college, you're, you're at Louisville, and you don't know the history of Auburn, it is its own book. Uh, but also, they tried to fire Tommy Tuberville in 03, and they got on a jet, and ironically, they flew to Louisville, tried to hire Bobby Petrino. Clearly, this was a different world. And Petrino had been the OC at Auburn a little while earlier, so they were confident they had their man. Problem is they, 
that's not how you fire a coach. You don't hop on a, a, you don't get boosters and hop on a jet in the middle of the night and go up to Louisville and secretly interview a coach while you still got your coach. And then you doubly especially don't let people find out. Well, they went 0 for 2 there. So they went up to Louisville and they didn't uh, secure privacy the way they needed to. And it got out and Tuberville got a, a windfall of support. And then he kind of proceeded to go undefeated the next year. Like they went undefeated. They didn't lose a single game. They went 13 and 0 and didn't play for the national title because that was the BCS era. So I'm not here to relitigate that. What I am here to say is if you believe in such things, when would be a better time for Auburn to go on a magical run than when they just try to, some, not all, when they, over here in the dark corner of the studio here, they uh, figuratively tried to run Brian Harson out of town and he overcame. And well, what does he do this year? We don't know. That story hasn't been written yet. Next up, we're going to the, we're going to the treacherous Big Ten West. Ryan said Iowa is going to make it back to the Big Ten Championship despite a difficult schedule from College Station, Texas. Uh, this is a six on the boldness scale. Now, you know my feelings on the Big Ten West. I have famously said, I don't know if it was famous, I have notably said there is no bold take in the West. Anyone can do anything. So it stands to reason I shouldn't have a six on this, right? Well, I do only because of what schedule is for Iowa. Uh, they are the only team over there that has to play Ohio State and Michigan. That's why their over-under win total is at 7.5, while Wisconsin's is at 9. So I think it's a little bolder than I initially thought it would be. I thought I was going to put like a 4 or a 5, maybe at max on this. But they also, outside of Michigan and Ohio State, this is not an easy schedule, especially by the West standards. They go to Purdue. Uh, they got Wisconsin at Minnesota, Nebraska. They have to play all of those teams. It's not so much that, it's how they play them, in what order. Look at November. If you're listening on podcast, Iowa's season concludes in the following fashion. At Purdue, Wisconsin at home. At Minnesota, Nebraska. It's not easy. I know if you're like a Texas A&M fan, you say, I'd much rather play that than what I'm going to have to play. I bet you would. But we're talking in a vacuum here. So we're just talking about Iowa within the context of the Big Ten West. That's going to be tough. They had some attrition in the interior of the offensive line. Spencer Petrus is who Spencer Petrus is. They're over into win total seven and a half, as I said, because of how tough that schedule is. I think it's going to be tough to duplicate 10 and four last year. I think a lot of people are remembering that. They had a lot of, if you want to call it luck, turnover luck. You can call it turnover skill, whatever. I know it doesn't it doesn't transfer year to year magically. So I'm going to say that's a six. I, I don't, I'm not feeling Iowa. That won't be my preseason pick in the Big Ten West. Uh, but it's been a model of consistency as a program. So it's also not wild and crazy. The last one here is wild and crazy. Mike, who is one of our resident UCF fans, I know that much about him. Uh, he said, my bold prediction is the AAC, the American Athletic Conference, will have three teams undefeated going into the final week in October, and at least one will be ranked inside the top 10. He concludes this with a hint. He says, the Big 12 will lay claim to this stat. Obviously, he's referring to the three teams that are soon to be departed for the Big 12. Who is that? Well, that's Houston, that's UCF, and that is Cincinnati. The over-under win totals are interesting to look at in the AAC. No one has a double-digit over-under win total. In other words, there is no, there is no solid preseason, or at least a perceived preseason alpha in this conference. Cincy is at 9.5, UCF is at 9.5, and, and Houston is at 9. 
then there's a little gap. So those three, ironically, the three teams that are going to be departing for the Big 12 soon, those are your three leaders in the clubhouse there. Now, what Mike is saying, for all, for all this to come true, all of them have to be undefeated going into Halloween, essentially. Oh, this is not going to happen. This is a nine and a half. Jesse wanted me to make it a 9.9. It's a nine and a half on the boldness scale. Look, since he plays at Arkansas in week one, they're about a touchdown underdog. If they lose that game, all this goes up in smoke. So, so that, that alone requires a pretty big upset by a team that just lost nine guys to the NFL draft, including the quarterback, going on the road in the SEC against a team that will pl play with their hair on fire in Arkansas. So they've also got Indiana at SMU. That's just Cincy's schedule. Houston's probably got the most workable path. At Texas Tech, they got Rice. Maybe you do lose to food here. Probably not. Uh, they got at Memphis, at Navy back-to-back, -back, and UCF plays Louisville, Georgia Tech, SMU. My point is they'll win most of these games. They're not all three winning all of those games, and then you got to have one of them inside the top ten, which would probably need to be Cincinnati because they are the only one that has a schedule that could get them fat enough to be in the top ten by Halloween. Uh, that's not happening. So I'm going to make that a nine and a half. But the boldness I appreciate because Mike's being true to brand there. He's being authentic to his brand. He is an AAC. He is a G5 guy through and through, and I do appreciate that about him. Okay, uh, we continue to roll on. Got a couple of questions here. Thank you guys again for being tuned in. Hey, uh, I had some of you this week, now that we're into the show a little bit, I had some of you this week send me video evidence of you subscribing to the channel on your loved one's various devices, unbeknownst to them. And while it sounds unethical, it's not, because I gave you permission to do it. So how can it be unethical? And as one of you said, they'll never know, and it'll never hurt them. Thank you for that. We are on the drive to 100,000 subs on the YouTube channel right now, and we also want as many as we can possibly get in the podcast feeds. And you're doing your job in all three facets right now. So thank you, thank you, and thank you. Just keep it up. That's all I ask. Just keep it up. Okay. We had a question here about conference championships. And uh, I went back and forth on this one for a while. So here's the question. Of the four non-SEC Power 5 champions, Baylor, Michigan, Utah, Pittsburgh from last year, which one do you think has the best chance to repeat as a conference champion in 2022? So again, to be clear who we're talking about here, as you see, Pitt won the ACC last year. You had Michigan in the Big Ten. All these were upsets, by the way. Baylor had the second to worst odds to win the Big 12, and they ended up pulling it off. And you had Utah win the Pac-12. Had to beat Oregon twice to do it, and, and they... They make quick work of them. Here are your preseason over-under win totals here. Pitt's over-under is 8.5. Michigan's is 9.5. Uh, Baylor's is 8. And Utah is 9. None of them, I don't think, none of them are preseason favorites to win their conference. Utah's right up there. Utah, in some, in some weeks, they're like co-favorites or they're right below USC. Point is, Utah... Odds-wise, they've got the best shot. That's according to odds makers. Uh, right, like right now, in this second, Utah and USC are plus 200. So they're co-favorites to win the Pac-12. I think they're right. I think odds makers are right here. I would give Utah, out of these four teams, I would give them the best chance to repeat as Pac-12 champ. In fact, if I had to pick, like at this very moment, which I don't, but if I had to pick right now, I think I would just randomly say Utah in the Pac-12. So it's not, that's not a wild concept at all for me. They have, a, I think, the 49th production rate return right now. None of them are like top 10 in terms of returning the most production. 
I just think Utah's team is the most tailor-made. They love what they have at quarterback. Like the lines of scrimmage haven't been decimated athletically. They're one of the best teams Kyle Whittingham will have had in there. And they've got everything lined up for them because when you play a team like Oregon or you play a team like USC, how is your, how is your situation going to be any more opportune than both of them having new staffs? And you, on the other hand, have one of the most veteran staffs in the country. So I think Utah would be number one. This is where I wrestled. The second team, I made Michigan. Michigan has probably got the highest power-rated team out of all of them. Like, if I put Michigan and Utah on a neutral field, Michigan would be favored. But I also know they're in a conference with Ohio State, which is one of the top two teams, uh, in my opinion, in terms of favorites to win the title in America this year. So Michigan's got uh, 65% returning production. That's about 65th in the country. But quarterback is intact there. Uh, They also, you know, Michigan's a team that has started to teeter a little bit on that conversation at least, okay? Maybe they're not there, the likes of which Alabama is, but maybe they're starting to teeter on that, that reload instead of rebuild philosophy. One of those programs that the, the model is so reliable that you don't even need to know the names. You just start to become familiar with the brand you're gonna get from them every year. Now, the reason I'm hesitant there is because they won the Big Ten last year, but before that, they had not done that. So we're still kind of early on and in the Jim Harbaugh reinventing himself phase. So we'll see. But I think they're the best of the four. That's why they're so high here. They're the second team in this four-team grouping. But it's tough to overcome Ohio State. They did it last year. They, they have to do it again. They'll be a double-digit underdog, if the numbers hold, in Columbus the last week of the regular season. The third team, I kind of flip-flopped here. The third team, I'm going to say it's Pitt. I originally was going to go Baylor, uh, but I'm going to make it Pitt. They've got the 45th ranked returning production in the country. They're, they're kind of all similar there. I, the reason why I ended up putting Pitt above Baylor is because Baylor's returning production is very bad. And, and more so than that, it's a tough stretch. But if you look at Pitt's schedule right here, you're going to have your attention, as is mine, attracted to, ooh, they start with West Virginia. doesn't matter. It's not a conference game. Ooh, they play Tennessee week two. doesn't matter. It's not a conference game. When you look at the conference, they don't play Clemson until maybe the ACC championship game. And they just, I think they have a more workable path. Whereas Baylor, who I put fourth out of four, even as I just praise Dave Aranda every day of the week on this show, Baylor, they have the, oh man, it's 122nd in the country returning production. Uh, they have the fourth best odds to win the Big 12. Really, the odds makers aren't that confident in them. They just remember what happened last year. But they go to Texas, they go to Oklahoma, to Texas Tech, to West Virginia, to Iowa State. It's just, it's a tough stretch. They got five road games there alone that I read off that are very, very difficult. Uh, They've got churn at quarterback. They chose to have that. Uh, Gary Bohannon was back, and Dave Aranda chose to go in a different direction. Bohannon transferred. So I'm going to go in order. Utah, Michigan, Pitt, and Baylor. And Baylor doesn't really care because last year they had the second worst odds in the Big 12 and they still got it done anyway. Okay, we have a dilemma that we need to weigh in on here as I readjust in the chair. Um, This one is near and dear to producer Jesse's heart. So let me straighten the mic for this one. Kevin hit me up and he said, would you rather Penn State keep tradition with a night whiteout or see them use it against Ohio State at noon instead of the Minnesota game? Watching from Nashua, New Hampshire. I believe Dunder Mifflin had an office there. Okay, look, here's the dilemma. 
Most of you are unfamiliar with what's going on. This is a big deal at Penn State right now. As you know, they do one whiteout game per year. It's a spectacle unlike anything you will see in college football. This is actual footage, if you're watching on YouTube, from the iJosh. I'm holding it in my hand. I'm on the field. This was from last year. When Auburn was in town, magical. Beyond description, doesn't matter if you watch it on TV. You just need to go see it in person. You will never ask why it's a big deal again if you go see it in person. Well, here's the dilemma. That's not the dilemma. Everyone agrees it's awesome. The dilemma is every Penn State fan and their mother wants the whiteout game to be Ohio State, right? That's the biggest game on the schedule this year. And then Fox comes along, and you know what Fox did? They pulled the big noon kickoff card out of their back pocket. Wham! And they just smack it on your forehead. And then the powers that be in State College said, we're not going to have a noon kickoff be the whiteout game. It's got to be under the lights. At kind of an unwritten rule. They have not always adhered to it, as records have shown. But they made the Minnesota game the whiteout game. That's October 22nd. And so you've got a sharp divide amongst Nittany Lion faithful right now. Why is this a big deal? Well, I can sentimentally tell you it's a big deal because it's insane. This is, a, this is a, one of those spectacles in college football in which the audience, the fan base, they actually have a tangible impact on the game. I know if you do not attend college football games and you just watch them on TV, or you don't get into this sort of thing, you think it sounds so stupid to say that. It may sound stupid, I'm just telling you it's real, but don't take my word for it. I have this trusty piece of paper in my hand, which Stats and Info has handed me. If you don't believe the whiteout has a tangible impact on games, then you tell me, sir, how this happens. Penn State has held every opponent below their seasonal scoring average during whiteout games, except 2013 against Michigan, and that was an overtime game. So every opponent that's come in there and faced that environment has been held below their seasonal scoring average, except one time, and that was an overtime game, so we don't even count that. Also, if we're talking about the Buckeyes specifically, Ohio State has been a whiteout victim a lot. 2014, 2016, and 2018. Three consecutive trips to Happy Valley. Ohio State is the whiteout game. They were held to 15.8 points less than their average over that span. So you can either get into the emotional side and just say, I want it to be the whiteout. Or you can be like me and you can say, uh, look at the numbers. This is a real thing now. It's not just something made for TV. It's an actual weapon that Penn State has to use against an opponent. You can't do it every week or it wouldn't be a weapon. But they choose one night per year or maybe a date per year to pull it out. So producer Jesse, a Nittany Lion himself, he is very, very conflicted over this. He's been talking about it to me for a solid week. Like I, I text him, what should we eat tonight? He, well, it's not going to be a whiteout. I know that. Um, Jesse is very, very torn. And I have found, I was texting back and forth with Sean Fitz today, who we wish good luck to on his future endeavors. Just because he's not going to work here anymore doesn't mean I don't have his phone number. And I will abuse it as I see fit. So I was abusing it earlier tonight, and I said, Fitz, if we were to split the entire fan base, 15-year-olds, 50-years-old, 150-years-old if they exist, I want to know what the split is. How many of those folks up there think that the whiteout game should be the Ohio State game, even though it's a noon kickoff. And he said, well, first you would have to debate them for an hour on how the Ohio State game shouldn't be a noon kickoff. Then if you got through all that, you'd probably get 60-40 in favor of making the Ohio State game the whiteout game, even though it's a noon kickoff. Um, here's the thing. You know I'm all about tradition. Love tradition. 
This kind of stuff makes college football unique. That's why I'm into it. All the traditions, I'm into them. It's just that this one's a little more awesome than most. I am a believer that with most rules, there should be a built-in exception to the rule. Shouldn't be commonplace. But with most rules, you can have an exception to that rule, especially if you create the parameters. Like, this is not a law. It's not the speed limit. And we're saying, you know what, I'm going to choose to do 90, but just one day out of the week. You get to make the rules. You are Penn State. You get to make the rules. So you can make it a general consensus that, yeah, the whiteout game's going to be a night game. But to me, this is one camp. One camp says there needs to be this little lever over here that we can pull just in case we have a home schedule that screams Ohio State's the biggest game by 10 miles, and we can make it a whiteout game even if Fox pulls the big noon kickoff card out of their back pocket. There's that camp, and then there's the camp that's pure tradition. And they say, nope, we're going to have that thing at night. But the thing about it is it hasn't always been at night. I was very surprised to find how many whiteout games have been held during the day. So where do I come down on this? Uh, famously, I like to ride the fence on these sorts of things because on one hand, I really want you to like me. On the other hand, boy, I really want the administration to like me. But I've got to take, I think, your side on this. If Sean Fitz is reliable, I've got to take 60% of your sides on this. And I got to say, here's the way I look at it. If I were a famous uh, gladiator, let's say, it's reasonable. I could see that about myself. But if I were a fighter, you know, if I were a famous swordsman, uh, but I only did my fighting at night, and then all of a sudden someone came up on me at 3.30 in the afternoon one day, I would not hesitate to pull out that sword just because the sun was still shining. It's a weapon I have, and I'm going to use it because it is the best way I can defend myself. The whiteout is a weapon that Penn State has, and having experienced it, I know it means a lot. And those numbers I just read tell you, the whiteout means something. I couldn't care less what time they kicked the Ohio State game off. If I'm running operations up there, I'm whiting that thing out. And Minnesota can be what Minnesota is. I feel good about my chances against them either way. In fact, if I'm losing to Minnesota at home this year, I got bigger problems that the whiteout even can't solve. Ohio State is getting the whiteout treatment from me. Uh, side note, I may very well be at that game. So regardless of what you're wearing in the stands, you know what your boy here will be wearing. I appreciate so much you guys being tuned in. Here's the programming note for this week. I think, and I, I'm only like 70% sure of this, you're 60% on the whiteout, I'm 70% sure, that we're going to have our show on Thursday night. 70% sure. Uh, we may have to pre-record it. Here's what's happening. CMA Fest is back in downtown Nashville after a two-year absence. So apparently uh, the entirety of the populations of about 19 states are going to descend upon downtown. Uh, we are in the middle of downtown Nashville and uh, apparently our garage is going to turn into something between Sodom and Gomorrah. Doesn't sound like something that I want to expose the innocence of Jesse and Colin to. I'll be fine. I'm a chameleon, okay? I can work my way through these environments, but I don't want them having to drive through that. So uh, anyway, I say all that to say, We'll probably keep our same schedule. Uh, you just, it may sound a little different, you know, thematically. Something may break Thursday morning that I don't cover on the show. So just keep your eyes on the Twitter feed. I'm going to let you know what the programming schedule is at Late Kick Josh. And one other thing, many, many, many of you have been asking about my contract because I told you a month and a half ago, my last day here was May 31st. Well, here it is, June 5th. 
you have rightfully asked me what gives. You told us that you were going to keep us updated. I am going to keep you updated. I do not have an update to give you right now. If you're wondering how I can be sitting here after my contract has expired, but with no update to give you, all I can tell you is very soon, fingers crossed, I will give it to you in a way that makes all this make sense. So, the show's going to be fine no matter what happens. That I can promise you. I will have an update coming whenever. As you can tell, our balls are in their court. And that's all I have to say about that. For Director Colin, for Producer Jesse, I'm Josh Pate. Have yourselves a great start to your week, and God bless.